You're listening to Moms at Work, the official jobs.mom podcast. Career or kids, every mother's dilemma. Well, the good news is you don't have to choose. Smash that glass ceiling without the guilt. Let's talk about how. I'm Zabine Mirza, and this is Moms at Work. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Moms at Work. I'm your host, Zabine Mirza, and we are kicking off today here episode one of a long-awaited, much-anticipated podcast, for me at least. And of course, Moms at Work is the official jobs.mom, M-O-M. That's jobs.mom podcast. For those of you that don't know, jobs.mom is a job board and career site focused on connecting mothers to mom-friendly jobs and mom-friendly employers for free. So jobs.mom is a digital hub for all things related to working moms and their pursuit of career success and achievement. And the site will be officially launching on March 1st. Now that that's out of the way, we get to our first guest ever. She is a working mother, a frontline worker, a friend, a neighbor, and a brilliant psychologist. Dr. Lila Pereira is here with us today, and I'll, I'll, I'll read some of her impressive credentials She's a licensed pediatric psychologist. She's the assistant professor of uh, pediatrics and psychiatry. She works and sees patients with a history of cancer or blood disorders in the suburbs of New York City. Um, And her research explores the importance of different forms of peer support in families facing pediatric and young adult cancer. She's also a board member of Families in Psychology Project, uh, which is a research and advocacy group supporting psychologists in their quest to become parents while progressing through the academic pipeline. Uh, I could go on and on because she is extremely impressive, but Dr. Lila Pereira, Lila, thank you so much for joining me and thank you for lending your voice to Moms at Work. Well, thanks so much for having me. Um, Obviously, with some of the um, advocacy work that I've done through the FIP project, um, you know, this is a cause that's also near and dear to my heart. Um, So I'm always happy to help and share my perspective um, from a professional standpoint, um, but then also as a mom, you know, obviously, uh, that is my other job. (laughs) So, um, you know, there's a, a lot of things to be said about this topic. And, and um, I think the more voices, obviously, that talk about it, the better. Thanks, Lila. And and how excited are you for jobs.mom, by the way? I mean, what an amazing resource this is going to be for women like us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, if I think about academia as a whole and how difficult it is for working moms um, in that field, regardless of whether it's psychology or, um, you know, other STEM fields, this is something that is really, really difficult, um, you know, to sort of progress through that career process. And it's in huge part um, due to some of the things that are going to be addressed on Moms at Work. Um, so I think all the resources that are going to be there for, you know, everybody, regardless of the level, um, you know, that you're at in your career, early career, thinking about a career, um, mid-career and, and so on, these are issues that come up 
yeah, um, for women. Yeah, and so. and the statistics are 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 quite grim. I mean, I have some numbers up here. So, twenty three percent of working moms say that they've been treated as if they aren't committed to their job because they have kids. Forty three percent of um, mothers that that have had jobs have had to take at least one year off with no earnings. Um, and then when they take a year off from work, their annual earnings when they do come back is 39% lower than women who worked. Um, it says here, you know, 23% of working moms say they've turned down a promotion because they were balancing work and parenting responsibilities. 17% say they've been passed over for a promotion. I mean, the statistics are are, are depressing and, and they don't lie. But, um, you know, the, the first thing I want to talk to you about, Lila, is kind of what has what has your experience been in your field? So tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing and your experience doing that work as a mom with a child. Yeah, so we decided really early on um, in our uh, I guess, graduate education when the time was going to be to have a child. Um, and so basically what that meant was that we had to plan in advance that this was our window. And if it didn't work out, it didn't work out. And then we were going to have to wait a particular period. So I think that that anticipation of always knowing that at some point I was not only going to be a working mom, but a student mom as well, um, sort of factored into a lot of our decision-making process around certain things um, and so, you know, as somebody who was always really career focused, I wanted to be a psychologist way back in high school. Um, you know, the, at the time I didn't necessarily think, oh, am, how am I going to adjust my career for this? Um, and, you know, as you know, my mom is a working mom. Um, and, you know, so that thought of, well, this is just going to be what life looks like. It wasn't even like, how am I going to make it work? It was like, no, it has to work because this is sort of the plan. Um, so I think that I got really lucky compared to other people that I know, um, including some of the people who I've worked with through FIP in terms of the level of support that I got academically and professionally, um, especially during the first couple early years. Um, you know, I walked into one of my clinical training, uh, placements and literally day one was like, Hey, um, I'm pregnant and had to figure out, um, how I was going to say that. And uh, her response was, congratulations, that's fantastic. Um, and so being able to navigate maternity leave was fantastic. Um, you know, but then when I went on residency, thinking about that as well, um, you know, so I think I was lucky yeah. in that respect that I really had good support. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right. And I think it's so important that, you know, the word that you mentioned was luck, right? Because the only thing that divides, you know, somebody that has access versus somebody that doesn't, whether you're talking about working mothers, whether you're talking about socioeconomic status, whether you're talking about nationality, it's really just the luck of where and how and to whom in what circumstances you were born. And I think it's it's good to recognize that privilege. Um, and it speaks volumes about you that you do. Um, and, and a lot of that also, I think, um, you know, you, you mentioned that your mom was a working mom, but, you know, your mom was also the primary breadwinner of your family, Lila. So talk a little bit about how seeing your mom be the breadwinner, your dad stay at home, how has it shaped your perspective? Yeah, so... Um... You know, it's funny because now at this stage in my life, I like to see, think that as much as we all believe the American dream is dead, um, I'm a really uh, good example of the fact that it can happen sometimes still. Um, you know, my parents, when they were first together, my dad um, is a musician. 
And so he kind of went from odd job to odd job. And my mom was um, sort of an academic. Um, she got a degree in library sciences. And so she worked on the academic side of things. Um, and, you know, she was the person who sort of held down the fort for years. And they waited almost 10 years to have me um, because financially they just struggled so much. Um, we lived in a place that was not a good neighborhood when I was first born. Um, like this is, you know, New York in the eighties, um, in a somewhat urban area. Um, and it was not a good place to live, but, you know, through, you know, the first five years of my life, both of my parents working all the time. Um, and then up to, you know, when my brother was born, um, and then my dad had the ability to stay home because um, childcare for two kids is expensive. Right. Um, you know, I think that that early work ethic was really instilled in me in terms of like, this is sort of sometimes what you have to do to make things work. Um, and I remember when he stayed home, I asked my mom, like, why? I wish he had stayed home more when I was little. Um, you know, and, and having a mother who was really um, honest about how they made those decisions and why, um, and my parents have always been really honest with me about a lot of things. Even now as a homeowner, I'm like, this, we have to like get this thing done on the house because they would have these weird conversations that were like so boring. Right. But then you realize, wow, this was actually like really good for them to tell me these things because now I feel more prepared as an adult. And, um, you know, as a kid, there were a lot of times that I'd have conversations with my mom and she was, um, you know, again, really honest with me about stuff like mom, right. like that was, you know, so I think that always kind of keeping that perspective is really important in terms of, you know, how you make um, decisions for yourself based on your values. Um, and, and, you know, sort of what you think about doing, I don't work because I have to work. I mean, I do, I've got tons of student debt. And, you know, I want to like have a particular lifestyle after like suffering the graduate student lifestyle for so long. But I love it. Like, I love, love my job. Um, and so I think that that's something that I really communicate a lot that, you know, this is important for us, um, you know, both as a family, but then like for myself, that this is just a value that I have. And I think also, you know, Lila, you mentioned a few things and I'm just listening to, to you speak and there's so many, so many kind of light bulbs that go off. And I have also these kind of flashbacks because I also grew up, you know, child of the 80s. I grew up in Brooklyn. Um, I grew up in a not very nice part either. And, um, you know, I, I think one of the most striking things, I had working parents, you know, both my parents worked. And one of the most striking things um, to, to me that that I realized was not necessarily evident to to other people is that moms can work. And moms should work. And um, it sets a good example for your children that they see mom who gave birth to me uh, and is a woman goes out, gets a paycheck, you know, um, achieves in her career, um, does makes an honest living um, and is and is contributing to the world, you know, whether it is out of passion or in the case of my family growing up out of necessity to work as it was with yours. Yeah. But but women can. Right. Women can. Women should if they choose to. Um, and the support needs to be there to allow them to not only work, but to be paid equitably, to be mm -hmm. given the support so that they can have family, that they don't have to come back to work 30 days postpartum, 
Um, you know, they're still bleeding. They're still recovering from major physical trauma. But, you know, so that support needs to be there. And, you know, I have boys, you have a son, you know, it, it sets an example for them. And it's important that everyone listening, you know, you know, we'll talk about guilt in a bit because you're a psychologist. So I'm going to pick your brain and, <laughs> and guilt is one of those deep rooted things. But, you know, this is one of the things that we struggle with a lot. You know, am I neglecting my children? Am I neglecting my family? You know, um, is, is it worth the trade-off? And, um, you know, only of course you can answer that for yourself, but there is a lot to be said, you know, for being honest with your family, with your children to say, I have to work. This is why I work. And these are the, this is the value of working. And I think, you know, it's, it's interesting that you, you bring up the fact that we have boys, right. And part of what is part of the value of working and sort of showing them that like, you know, mom's work and this is important part of this, um, you know, we, we're very much those people who are very flexible and open with our beliefs about how we do things. Um, you know, we, that's really important to us. Um, and sort of recognizing the privilege also of, that you mentioned earlier of where we stand, um, within sort of like the, the social structure. And, um, you know, <laughs> I'm smiling now because yesterday I had a conversation with my son where he was like, so mom at the hospital, women doctors are nurses and men doctors are men doctors. <laughs> I just looked at him and I said, um, <laughs> no, <laughs> that is not, no. Right. <laughs> no. Right. And that goes back to why it's important for us to work as women. Um, and of course, it's, it's you know, for a number of things to, to break down stereotypes, to, you know, challenge glass ceilings, to, to challenge, you know, systemic, um, you know, disparities for, for, for women in the workplace. But, you know, also it's, it's our contribution to raising, you know, a, a future generation that is also going to fight for that. So, so coming back to this, you know, we talked about guilt and you're the psychologist. Now you're going to explain to me, Lila, this mom guilt that we feel dads, they don't feel this. You know, I've, I've studied this extensively in, in the two dads (laughs) that I've studied extensively and they don't feel it, but how do we cope with it? So you're the psychologist. If I'm telling you, Lila, I feel crippling guilt that I have to travel for work. I have to spend 15 hours a day at the office. I can't attend Little League. I can't attend school plays. How do I reconcile that? So I think that first you have to figure out why you feel that guilt, right? So, and whose voice is that guilt? Is that your voice or is that somebody who put that voice there? And I think that nine times out of 10, what we'll find is that it is societal pressure that puts that voice there. And, you know, you can sit there and and blame somebody else. Um, I I mean, as much as I think that my mom was a great role model for me, um, there were a lot of times, um, you know, early on um, that my mom made a lot of comments to me. Like, why do you work so much? Why do you, why do you do this? Um, And like, this is what it is to be in academia. Um, this is what it is to be a medical provider. And when you combine the two and you work in academic medicine, there's just an, a fortunate reality about the amount of time that you work. And, you know, again, making that choice because this is the specific type of psychologist that I really enjoy being. If I'm going to work a lot, I want to do something that I actually enjoy. Um, and so when I have that guilt, I have to say, whose voice is that? And now at this point, especially post-COVID and sort of trying to juggle all of that, 
I'm a lot better at figuring out when is it my voice that feels guilty and I need to therefore pay a lot more attention to it versus when is it society telling me to feel guilty. And I, and I say that also specifically because there are times where I'll have a conversation with um, my husband and and I'll express that guilt. And he's like, nobody is telling you that you have to do this thing. Where is that coming from? And then I have to recognize, okay, that's not me. That's something else. And so when you can separate out those two things, then you can decide what to do about it. Yeah. So when it's my voice that speaks, to me, that is me having some kind of dissonance there, that my values are not in line with what my behavior is. And and when we do therapy, that's a very like clear cut all right, what are we going to do about this now? Right. We've determined that you do need to make the lifestyle change because what you want and what you are doing don't match. Yeah. And so when that happens, that's when I have to say, okay, I need to make a change. Now, when it is, you know, somebody else's voice, that is what we call an unhelpful thought. And that's something that I need to challenge and change mentally so that I can get a clear viewpoint about, how am I going to address this? And what am I going to do mentally to feel better about this? And I think that's I think that's really important because, you know, when you're talking about unhelpful thoughts, we all we all have them all totally. the time. Totally. Um, and, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you mentioned your husband telling you, you know, where is this coming from? You know, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be held hostage by these thoughts, right? Um, you know, one of the things that I would love to know from you, Lila, is, you know, what if you are feeling guilty about neglecting or you believe you're neglecting your family or your kids, right? And you don't have the option. We are privileged. We have that option, right? Where we can choose to cut back on our hours. We can choose and we have the support, but there are millions and millions of women that that are going to listen to this and say, that's really nice, Sabine. And that's really nice, Lila, you know, but I don't have that luxury. What, what do you tell them? So again, I think that that also depends. And I'll, I'll preface this also with, um, in psychology, that's like our favorite phrase is it depends. Right. Um, and I think that that's also important to highlight because it also creates mental flexibility for yourself to sort of recognize that sometimes we have to do certain things that right now, this is the choice that we have to make. And when I read personal stories or I talk with people and I talk to them about what it, what was it like to have a working parent who was not there? Um, you know, and as much as my dad was there, um, you know, during the daytime, he worked as a musician on the weekends. Um, I could probably count the number of times, maybe on one hand, um, that he was there for a full birthday party of mine, Um, that he, you know, made every single soccer game that I wish that he was at. Um, and, And I'm talking combined one hand for these things, right? So there are times where you just have to do certain things. Um, and you just don't have a choice, but your child, as much as they may be upset right now, will someday grow up and recognize, you know what, that's what you had to do. Right. And because you did that, here's all the good things that I got out of that. And I think that all children get to that point eventually. And it's just a function of when they recognize that. But that is a really consistent thing that is seen in research, that is seen in pop culture, 
Um, I mean, if you want a proof of that, just go on Humans of New York, right? Like the number of times that people will talk about their parents that worked really hard for them and and gave them all these amazing things. um, That's a pretty frequent theme that pops up again and again. And so I think to sort of stay the course and trust the process is really important to sort of know that you're doing this for a reason um, and eventually your children will benefit from it. And, And again, you may not get to see it for a long time, but it will happen eventually. Um, it's hard to tell yourself that, you know, in the moment, but. Right. And I think that honesty that you were talking about earlier, Lila, is what's critical here. And it's not just honesty with your children, but also your partners at home. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, it, and it's communication, right? And, you know, women yeah. have this, you know, they, they call it the, the hidden burden or the invisible burden, right? And, yeah. and we have it. We really do have it. And of course, it's predominantly societal, right? We've been indoctrinated to carry that burden of, you know, running the household and managing the childcare and being CEO of the house. We have that burden burden. Um, But it really does, as you mentioned, um, start with being honest with yourself about where that voice, that that sense of guilt and obligation is is coming from and and being honest with those you share your life with. And without that, I don't think I don't think as a working woman, um, a a working mother or just even as a as a as a woman, as a person, you can really navigate the complexities of of life today. and I think, you know, to that extent, it also means knowing when you need to ask for help. Yes. If you, ha- if you have help available to you. Yes. You know, and that also means being really open and honest um, in accepting feedback too. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So if- Absolutely. And, you know, I, I want to talk about what you had mentioned, asking for help. I absolutely suck at this. You know, it's, it's, it's been planted into my mind. I don't know from where, maybe I need to, you know, do the investigation, the self-investigation you just prescribed me, Lila. But, you know, I, I, I can't ask for help because I feel like I shouldn't have to. I should be able to. And it's not at home. I want to talk about it at work too because it manifests in, in a crippling way sometimes yeah. at work because – you know, let's let's be real. It doesn't matter if you're in business or in finance, in medicine, in tech, in media. Women across the board have to work twice as hard to be thought of as half as good. It doesn't matter that you have a terminal degree. I have a terminal degree. We've worked at some phenomenal companies with phenomenal people. It doesn't matter, right? You heard the statistics at the beginning. You know, we yeah. get paid less. We get passed over for promotions. We ourselves reject promotions because we we can't balance our lives. So talk to me about work. So the women listening to us, Lila, they want to know, how do I ask for help at work? How do I advocate for myself at work? So... I think that when you, and again, this is going to depend, (laughs) you know, when you're in an environment and you know that there are people who are supportive um, or you have people that um, at the various levels, right, the people below you, the people lateral to you and the people above you. So, you know, when I think about how do you ask for help, um, I think you have to look around you at the environment that you're in and knowing, okay, who's my ally? Right. Um, And, you know, often... We think that it's going to be a woman and then we hope it's going to be a woman. And every once in a while, it's not. Um, You know, I've definitely professionally been in some instances where I've been told by women, um, it's just not going to work out. 
Like, don't ask for that. It's just never going to happen. And then I've had other women say things like, of course, you're going to ask for that. And, and you should actually ask for more. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it could be anything, right? It could be salary. It could be, um, you know, I need to like shift my schedule a little bit. Um, I, I want to have this particular professional opportunity, et cetera. Um, but sort of taking that look around and really thinking who, who's my ally here and relying on that person to either mentor you, um, to teach you how to do it for yourself the right way, um, or yeah. to be your cheerleader so that if it doesn't work out, um, or if you're nervous that you have that person kind of like Rob Schneider, like you can do it like behind you. <laughs> right? um, and, you know, I think that mentorship is incredibly um, important. And it could also mean going to other people who do similar jobs that either you've worked with in the past and no longer work with or, um, you know, so somebody else being able to say, Geez, who can teach me this? Yes, yes. And and I want to I want to I want to say this one thing to everybody that's listening. You know, what Lila just mentioned, you know, I've managed large teams, I've managed women, and I've been managed by women. Overwhelmingly, my experience with women bosses had been terrible. Had been terrible. And you know, it's it's like in the horror movies, the calls coming from inside the house. It's it's mm-hmm. you know, it's the women that are you know, sabotaging other women. And I'm going to, I'm going to share with you my armchair psychologist's uh, theory behind this because it's been <laughs> almost 15 years of me really thinking about why do women suck when it comes to managing other women. And I've landed in a place where I believe it's because opportunities are so limited for women that they have had to fight tooth, nail, scratch, and claw their way up and their hold on what they have, what they have achieved, they believe is so precarious that anyone, any woman especially, right, they believe is a threat because there's not enough room for more than one. Whereas men have that pack mentality. They can afford to. They have a society and a structure and they've been taught there's room for everybody at the table. There isn't even a table for women. Forget room for for women at the table, right? So as a manager, many of you are listening and are managers, right? And I'm a mom, I'm a woman, and I have managed and I have always said, send the elevator back down. Send Mm -hmm. it down. If you are as good, as smart, as intelligent, as capable as you think you are, you will lose nothing by helping and uplifting and raising other women up. You help yourself, right? You help yourself. I agree. And I think that that idea of there is always more space Yes. Um, is a really, really important value of mine. Um, you know, and, and it's funny because the paper that I'm most proud of that I've had published um, or that I'm actively working on, um, very, very much so I was developing this with a trainee who was facing a really, really difficult discriminatory experience and nobody was advocating for her. And I was, you know, mentoring her through sort of like a external professional organization. So I was not affiliated with her school whatsoever. I was not in even the same time zone, let alone city. Um, and, you know, I was so angry for her that she was going through that situation. I said, I think we need to write about this. I'm really sick of hearing stories like this of trainees being put in situations because it's going to be good for their career. Right. And it's really difficult. It's really unfair. It's unsafe. 
um, it's not okay. Yes, and absolutely, absolutely. And and you know what? This is this is exactly this is exactly what we as women. This is a way that you advocate for yourself by learning. Nobody's gonna go out of their way, Lila, to teach you. Lila, let me sit th- let me sit next to you and teach you this amazing thing. Take time out of my day to teach you. You need to go out and seek that knowledge, right? That mm-hmm. is part of advocating. So everyone that's listening, you know, this is something that I was taught by my father when I was very young. He said, you can learn something from everyone. Everyone is a teacher. So what I've always done, every job that I've had, I have found a person that is good at something that I am absolutely garbage at, right? <laughs> they, have, they may have nothing to do with me, my team, my project, but they are really good at something. I will hound them shadow them, force them. I'll say, you know, if you're not going to teach me, just let me sit here and watch you and I will learn, right? And this is a way to advocate for yourself, to seek knowledge. Nobody's going to give it to you. They may give it to other people. They're not going to give it to us, right? They're not going to give it to us for a number of reasons, right? Oh, working moms, maybe she's not as committed. Again, we heard those stats, right? She's going to have to leave early. She's not going to be able to make every event. She might not be able to commit to this project and whatnot. So people are going to think twice. But, you know, I always say, and this is this is my motto, you have to be so good that they cannot ignore you. They cannot mm-hmm. ignore you. And how do you get that good, Lila? You get it by continuously learning, by continuously forcing people to teach you, forcing them to pay attention to you. And I think bringing a team through that process and saying it's not just me, but the, everyone that I surround myself with um, also makes you a stronger candidate as well because people can say, you make everybody else better by being here too. And so my organization is benefiting, the field is benefiting, the world is benefiting, right? And it just sort of depends on that lens that you look through. Um, you know, but 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 you're absolutely right. You know, um, things will bother you if you let them. It's it's mm-hmm. perspective. Now, I'm I'm conscious of 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 time, Lila, and and we do have amazingly enough some <laughs> questions uh, for you from some moms. Okay, so let's talk about and and I think I'll I'll ask you just these last two questions and we'll wrap up. You are a pediatric oncology psychologist, so you work with children with cancer or have had mm-hmm. cancer, gravely ill children. I mean, this is really heavy work. And um, the question we have um, from Saida Hassan, she's a mom of twins, and she wants to know, Dr. Pereira, considering the work you do, um, number one, how are you not always crying? <laughs> and number two, do you yourself have a therapist? Um, so I, I'm very lucky in the sense that I have, um, a husband who is a therapist. And so, um, that, I think that part of what makes our relationship work and and not work sometimes is, um, the fact that we speak the same language. And so there are plenty of times where I'm incredibly upset about something and come home and, um, you know, sometimes I need to talk and sometimes I don't, and it depends um, and when I need to talk, we can have a nice conversation. And I'll sometimes think to myself, oh, God, that, I know exactly what you just did right there. I know that <laughs> intervention. You're so good at your job. Um, you know, so, you know, I think that there are these things that we do to take care of ourselves. Um, and I think that that goes to that whole teamwork thing, right? And sort of how we work together um, to sort of recognize what is this person like and what do they need as a result of that. Um, and so I have specific people at work that I do talk to for support. Um, 
again, people say to me things like, how do you go home and how do you like not just want to squeeze your kid to death? I'm like, oh man, there are times where I do want to squeeze him and, and he gets lots of extra hugs or I, in the middle of the night, go into his room and give him a kiss while he's sleeping or whatever. Um, but it's easier for me as, you know, I think to translate it to home than it is the other way around. Cause otherwise I'd never be able to be in a room yeah. with a patient. And, and I think, you know, and I think that's exactly right. And, and as we wrap up here, Lila, you know, just, just to remind everybody, you know, some of the, the really critical things that, that we've discussed that I think all of us can use in our, in our day-to-day lives. And that is number one, you know, really understanding, per, taking that perspective, right? What really should I be worrying about that I can control, everything mm-hmm. else is outside of my control. And where is where are those voices of doubt and and guilt and and imposter syndrome, which we all feel, you know, am I really what I think I am? Where are those where are those doubts coming from? So so Lila, you know, she 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 shared with us, uh, for those of you that have been listening, you know, it's this insight that everything is is a learning it's it's not just about learning from people it's about learning from the things that are happening the things that are going on around you the things that people are doing um, and saying that can really um, that, that can really teach you um, how to shape your own approach and perspective to to work to family um, we talked about being an advocate for yourself and one of the ways to really be an advocate for yourself is to demand knowledge right to seek that knowledge and, and it's what I said you know be so good that they can't ignore you it's, it's it's how do you get that good you get that good by by learning and you know that guilt um, I think it's just kind of genetically, uh, encoded into our, our DNA, uh, Lila, but you know, you've, you've shared some incredible, incredible tools with us, um, here today. And, and I thank you. And I just want to say, um, Lila, I'm so glad to have had you on. Um, you've been an incredible first guest to kick off the podcast. And honestly, we appreciate your candor, your advice. Um, millions of moms everywhere can certainly relate to you and like me certainly are in awe of the work that you do. And I want to say on behalf of all of us, thank you for your service in this pandemic. And thank you for everything that you do to help these children. And, and thank you for sharing your, your armchair therapy um, <laughs> without sending me a bill for the hour. Thank you for being here. It's been my pleasure. And I think that, you know, if, if I could make a closing remark too, you know, if you think sometimes right about these lessons to learn and what what is the lesson I'm supposed to learn, we may not always know right away what that lesson is that we're supposed to learn. And so having self-compassion about the process um, to recognize that you may not always be at your best all the time, um, but to have the compassion for yourself to say, we are always learning until we can no longer learn anymore. And that's really at the very end of this journey that we're on in life. And so, you know, always remember throughout everything, throughout the pandemic, throughout your working career, um, that nobody is perfect and that we're all trying to figure it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is a wrap. If you love Dr. Lila Pereira and you want to hear more stories from other working moms sharing their experiences, their insights, and their tools for success, be sure to tune into new episodes every week. And definitely be sure to visit jobs.mom to register for updates and information as we count down to launch. Stay healthy, stay sane, and stay ambitious. You can have your cake and eat it too. I'm Zabine Mirza, and this is Moms at Work. Follow us on social media, 
Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out more episodes at jobs.mom slash moms at work. Así soy yo.